This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Foster Report on Joy Drive with Dean Warren. One of my favourite times of the week, of course, is when Richard Foster joins us. For The Foster Report, you're there, mate. I'm hearing you loud and clear, Dee. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. Massive uh, weekend, but nay, week last week. I mean, it's been an amazing amount of uh, news coming out of the politic, both locally and federally. What's going on uh, politically in the Labor Party with Fitzgibbon? It it is remarkable (laughs) to see how Labor could kick its own goals so well right at the time that the Liberals were front and centre on four corners just a week ago, um, being exposed for, once again, you know, what people are referring to as its woman problem. I don't know if that's a great term to use, but, geez, (laughs) there it is. Um, And and here's Labor. Here's Labor pulling itself apart yet again over environmental policy. So we've got uh, got Joel Fitzgibbon having stood down from the front bench. He holds the seat of Hunter in New South Wales, a regional seat on the coast uh, in New South Wales, heavily dominated by the mining industry and people working for the mining industry. Uh, Now, he suffered um, over a 10% swing at the last election in his seat, um, with Labor uh, trying to tread a bit of a line on environmental policy, but certainly not uh, uh, ruling things out, like its position on Adani, for Mm. example, it was opposed to Adani. Um, That obviously cost seats in Queensland, but it hurt people like Joel Fitzgibbon as well. Uh, Now, this is something that uh, Mr Fitzgibbon no doubt has front and centre in his mind uh, and, and he hasn't been uh, backwards in coming forwards about his view that uh, coal miners need to be protected or people in the mining industry generally need to be protected in any move Labor makes to greenify itself, if you like. So is this about um, winning an election or is it about a potential leadership challenge for the Labor Party? Oh, hey, wait, wait, wait. can we just back it up a little bit? Because I don't think either of you fellas have said what actually happened. Joel Fitzgibbon. <laughs> I mean, you said a lot of you said a lot of pretty words, and that's great. But Joel Fitzgibbon <laughs> has waited until the LNP is about ready to fall over and do poo by itself, and then he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. He's walked into caucus and gone. I don't like what we're doing with the climate and with coal. I'm out and grabbed the headline, stealing victory from the jaws of def- or defeat from the jaws of victory. Like it was a nuts well, move. Uh, well, yeah, you could argue it was, but uh, before he walked into caucus, I mean, the, the one thing you've got to do before you go making a splash in caucus and telling people what you really think is tell the rest of the country what you really think. Mm. And that's what he did the day before. So he, he went out in the media the day before saying that uh, that uh, Labor needs to uh, firm up its position on blue-collar workers against environmental policy. He's, he's basically pitched the two against each other. You mm. know, it's workers or the environment. And, and uh, Mr Fitzgibbon seems to be suggesting that you can't have both. Now, uh, Anthony Albanese, I think, would be uh, quick to jump up and say, no, 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 you can have both, and here's how we're going to do it. He's just not going to tell us how he's going to do it just yet. So uh, Mr Fitzgibbon walks into caucus. There's a big powwow um, uh, led by the principal agitator of Mr Fitzgibbon, which is uh, Mr Dreyfus, uh, who sits down here in Victoria and is uh, hails from the right wing of the Labor Party. Uh, The two haven't made any secret of the fact that they don't get along. Dreyfus doesn't doesn't have to deal with any actual miners in his day. 
day-to-day life, I imagine. <laughs> There's not many of those around yeah. the Melbourne suburbs, really, is there? <laughs> That's where Mark Draper sails. <laughs> so, um, so, yes, it was Mark Draper who brought it on uh, in, in the caucus meeting and uh, Mr Fitzgibbon obviously had it in his mind that he would not walk out in the same position in which he walked in and that's exactly what happened. He's gone to the back bench, freeing up a, a front bench position for Ed Husick. There's nothing like trying to agitate for change from the back bench when you had a perfectly good front bench seat. Don't you think that is... That's the thing I don't understand. Mm. Fancy saying, I'm so frustrated by the lack of movement in the way I want it to go. I know what I'm going to do to fix this is go sit up the back seats and see if yeah. I can't make change for me. You can't. Well, it depends. It depends. I mean, there's there's certainly the view that things get a whole lot easier when you're sitting in the cheap seats, and, mm. and maybe there's some truth to that. There's conventions on both sides of politics. I mean, in, in the Cabinet and in Shadow Cabinet, uh, those members are bound by Cabinet or Shadow Cabinet solidarity mm-hmm. in the caucus and the party room, uh, depending on which you're side freed you're on. Up it's in the, back, the same. Uh, well, you are free-er. I mean, there is still expectations that you uphold caucus solidarity too, and he's still in the caucus, as mm. is every member of the Parliament for Labor. Uh, but but he will find it easier to stray from that and to, and to freelance a lot more than what he's been able to. You leave Lance out of this. <laughs> <laughs> so poor old Lance. So, Richard, how, so is it about winning the next election, the, these moves that uh, Fitzgibbon's doing, or is it about um, destabilising leadership? Like, what's the, what's the end goal and what would they need to do to win? That is an excellent question. The, the leadership's probably the first thing we should go to. Is, is uh, Mr Albanese uh, under threat? No, not immediately. I mean, there, there's really nobody sitting there just waiting for him to topple over. Uh, I don't think that there is anyone in the federal parliament without leadership aspirations. But... Without? Uh, that's... You mean without. you think they yeah. all want that, I think that well, poison yes, chalice? I think, absolutely. <laughs> well, maybe not the opposition leaders, but, right. but, uh, but it's a stepping stone to the prime ministership, mm-hmm. isn't it? I don't think there's anyone in the federal parliament that hasn't toyed with the idea of being prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, uh, you know, pe- people won't won't jump until you know the, the the opportune time, and the opportune time is not now. There is nobody rallying for the Labor leadership. There is nobody doing numbers. There's none of that going on. So you could argue, though, to Warren's question, you could argue that this is one thing you need to do. I mean, this applies to oppositions and it applies to people that want to be opposition leader in order to become prime minister. You you need a narrative in opposition, a narrative for change. You need to build a story around why you ought to be in the gig. Mm. That applies to the party and it applies to you as an individual if you want to be a leader. Um, Look, this you could argue maybe this is what Mr Fitzgibbon is up to. Maybe this is the start of a narrative, a stronger narrative for change of the leadership. I don't think personally that uh, that Joel Fitzgibbon has uh, actually wants to be opposition leader, but I do feel as if if he thought it was the only way to achieve you know some uh, some stability for the party uh, uh, ahead of the next election uh, and to give it a winning chance, then he may well change his mind. Mm. Do you think that they put Albo up to be the next prime minister or to hold the spot until such time as we've got through this opposition period and then they can look at a a leader, leader. Well, the reality is he was the only candidate. Uh, I mean, he, he went in uncontested. Um, there, you could you could suppose that there might be reasons for that, but um, my, my personal feeling is that nobody else was ready to take the leadership at that point in time. There was there were talk of a couple of challenges, um, mm. but neither stumped up on the day. So in the end, it was elbow all the way. And I think now, when you, you know, if you want to consider your timing mm. in terms of becoming leader, um, op- opportunity is, is one thing, but, um, you know, opportunity for success 
success is another. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd, you'd want to be weighing it up very, very carefully. Is Labor likely to win the next election as at now? You'd have to say definitely not. Um, do you really want to be the one that's going to lead it to a definite loss or are you so sure you can lead it to a win? It's a big call. So maybe we'll see some sort of movement after the next election, potentially, if they lose. I think that's a certainty, but I wouldn't rule out anything before the next election. At this stage, I'd say, look, Albanese is safe until at least March. Um, Labor will will start thinking about the leadership, but not necessarily in respect of changing it, just about the leadership generally, and mm. it will consider whether or not a change is needed at around, you know, March, April next year as they prepare for an end of end of next year election. But can they um, change? Can they, didn't I, thought they, rules I change? thought Albo was locked in for the next election. I thought that was sort of like a... Labor Party thing. Like, yes. <laughs> Labor Party thing, yeah. yeah. Well, it's now a Liberal Party thing as well. The, um, the Labor, uh, under Kevin, Kevin Rudd introduced new rules to try to slow the revolving door of the leadership yeah. back, uh, back a few years ago when he became PM for the second time. And, uh, and that was basically that, well, firstly, now the vote is split between Labor Party members and the Labor caucus. Mm. Now, the, the caucus vote is, is still the crucial one. If, um, it, if you want to be leader, you have to now garner upwards of 60% of the caucus vote. It's no longer a 50-50 proposition. Mm. It's not 50% plus one, it's 60% you need to become leader. But just, just going back to the basics of, of, of meeting rules and stuff, how many votes do you need to change the rules of a party or the rules of, the rules of caucus uh, to elect a new leader? It's still 50% plus one. So, look, if I was, uh, if I was running rules. for the Labor leadership, I'd be saying, here's a, here's a two-barreled motion. First, I want to change the rules to elect the new leader to 50 plus one. Now I want to run as leader. Speaking of hating being in opposition and just wanting to lead... Uh, uh, Tim Smith. <laughs> Who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, look, t- Tim's, a, Tim's an endless source of entertainment, really. Um, mm. Look, if you're asking whether whether he is likely to lead the Liberal Party into the next election, I will tell you now, um, I, now you won't want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway, I will bear my butt in Burke Street if he leads the Liberal Party to the next election. That is not no. going to happen. No, no, I think there are there are others waiting in the wings, for sure, mm. um, but it's not Tim Smith. What I can tell you is, um, well, the information I have is that Tim Smith is supporting another challenger to Michael O'Brien. Mm. Um, um, and that challenger will it will be very well known to you. It's one Matthew Guy. Yeah. Um, well, his look very quickly because we're going to get throw to Hilly Tilly and the, I don't know why I keep getting a name wrong Tilly and the news uh, <laughs> shortly. But I did listen to Mr. Smith on air with Virginia Trioli this morning, banging on about the quite decent proposal as far as I can read into it from the state Labor government to um, fund heavily the uh, social and public housing initiative to the tune of like $56 billion or something. I can't remember the numbers, but it's something like that. Um, And he, he basically got on and said, but will councils have a say in what comes into their suburb and uh, get an, you know, I just thought, They never God. cared about councils. No, and when Matthew <laughs> Guy was, I mean, yeah, anyway, it was just very interesting <laughs> and yeah. I could go on for at some length about my disappointment in the way that they um, just picked that element of that proposal. It's extraordinary. It was extraordinary coming from that side of politics, I mm. think. Uh, just, just for clarity, the um, the spend on um, public and social housing is, is just tipping the $5 billion mark. Five still, billion. It's still yeah. significant, though, yep. in, in no, no uncertain terms. Um, but, yeah, to, to hear a, uh, an opposition spokesperson um, talk about a, a lack of consultation or a lack of um, op- opportunity for local government in planning decisions, well, need we, need we not remember the, uh, the, the skyscrapers that Matthew Guy approved? Yep. That was all because he sidelined 
behind the City of Melbourne in those decisions. Yeah, yeah. He introduced laws that prevented the City of Melbourne from um, from considering anything upwards of 25,000 square metres, which is basically any big building. You, you in know, the interests of all Victorians and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There you are. Mm. Um, that is fantastic. Now, we do have to throw to Tilly Hannon for the news headlines. Richard Foster, thanks so much for your time. See you next week. Great to be with you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.